Greetings in the name of Jesus. The role of a deacon. And in conversation, just these last two days, I discovered there are so many variations on how congregations assign the responsibilities of a deacon. But I trust we can learn from the scriptures as well. I want to begin with a story. There was a youth group. They had a youth activity evening. And the activity of the evening was impromptu skit night. (coughs) They divided into small groups. They had 12 to 15 minutes to prepare to decide on what they're going to act out and who's going to play the roles. So this one group decided they are going to act out the birth of Jesus. First of all, they identified the characters of the story of the birth of Jesus. They started assigning the characters to the group members. First question was, who wants to be Joseph? Quickly, two of the young men volunteered, I want to be Joseph. Both wanted it pretty badly. Well, we don't need two Josephs, but we need an innkeeper. Neither one was willing to be the insignificant innkeeper. Both of them wanted to be the important Joseph of the story. In fact, they started debating and arguing and presenting their qualities and their the reasons, um, the gifts that they have to be Joseph. Well, they didn't come to any conclusion and the time was up. <clears throat> From our vantage point, we can see a problem. Turn with me to Romans 12. I think I'm going to read the first ten verses. Hard to determine where to start and where to stop. Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. <clears throat> Zeroing in on verses 4 through 6. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministry, or he that teaches on teaching, or he that exhorts on exhortation, 
He that give us, let him do it with simplicity. He that rule us with dilig- he that rule us with diligence. He that show us mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. There's so many good points in this passage. But our bodies are made up of various parts. Which is the most important part? Probably the one that's hurting. <clears throat> or the one that has... The, the, yeah, wherever the need is. You know, we have arms, legs, feet. You can identify the body parts. But every part is important. The body of Christ is made up of many members. And every part is important. I just reflected on the brotherhood and the gifts and the services that are needed within the brotherhood. You have cooks here, you have teachers. The cooks are going to be pretty important after the service this morning. Superintendents, ushers, janitors, environmental control officer. I don't know what you call the one that um, adjusts this thermostat. I think that's a hard one to fill. We have encouragers. We have prayer warriors. We have criticizers. We have deacons. We have ministers. Last of all, we have bishops. We have different parts, but we all are, we're made up of many members, but we are one body. We have gifts. Teachers, preachers, evangelists, helpers, prophets, counselors. And I And I say, last of all, deacons. One time coming through an ordination, I felt bad for the laity because of all the hype and all the emphasis, all the energy, all the um, things that were set concerning leadership role and about the one that was being ordained. So I mentioned it to someone and, and it was pointed out to me, it's not that this role or this office is more important than anyone else, but that's the emphasis this weekend. So I trust that's what we can do this weekend. The emphasis is on the need of a deacon. It's not minimizing any other part of the body. May God help us to look at the role of deacon as he sees it and he as he has intended us to see it. The word deacon is found in the scripture. I'm not a Greek scholar. I'll try to pronounce the Greek word diakoneo. Diakoneo is a word in Greek that is translated or interpreted as deacon. But there's many other words that come underneath that um, the meaning <clears throat> the meaning uh, of diakoneo. It's to be an attendant. 
to be a host, to be a friend. To act as a Christian deacon, to minister or to administer, serve as a serve or use the office of a deacon. This same word diakoneo is used in Mark 10, for even the Son of Man came not to minister, sorry, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Even the Son of Man came not to be deaconed unto, but to deacon and give his life a ransom for many. It's found also in John 2 where Jesus and his disciples were at the house of Martha. And it says that Martha deaconed. There they made him a supper and Martha served. Martha deaconed. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table. Diakoneo is one word. Diakonos. Diakonos is the root word of diakoneos. I like these definitions. To run errands. To be a waiter. To do menial tasks. Especially a Christian teacher or pastor. To be a servant. I have often said, a deacon is one who comes along behind and mops up. Being a, being a deacon, you can say that. Turn with me to Acts 6. I don't know if Brother Dwight used this passage when he talked about the qualifications of deacon. One time I was serving as superintendent for a Sunday school, and you have to be, I wanted to be careful to not take away from the Sunday school lesson or to not tread on the teacher's um, material. So I apologized one time and the teacher said, if it's worth saying once, it's worth saying twice. So he was not offended if you um, took part of his material. So, Acts 6, 1 through 8. And in those days, I'm sorry, this was the early church Verse 42 of the previous chapter says, They were daily in the temple, and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So, the early church, they were prospering. And they were ministering. They were daily worshiping together in the temple and in every house. And in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus and Nicanor and Hymen and Parmenas and Nicholas, the pro- a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. And the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, 
and a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and of power, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. So there was a need. The need was established. The widows were being neglected. The daily administration is not so very appealing, but it is very necessary in the brotherhood. The disciples said, it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. And I don't think they were valuing the one over the other, but that was their calling to minister, to preach the word of God, and not to serve tables. So it said, well, let's meet those needs. Serving tables is not glorious. Running errands is not glorious. I don't know what the deacon here, I think maybe Warren should be up here, right? What he's all tasked with. Some are tasked with caring for some funds. For some reason, in our, in our setting, the deacon does not do a whole lot with funds. But whatever the deacon is assigned to, maybe assigned to locking and unlocking doors, maybe assigned to ushering, uh, especially at funerals or calling hours, called to, for visitation, called to do visitation, called to do shepherding, called to do mentoring, and possibly preaching. You told me to give my experience, right? Those were some of the things that I was uh, asked to to be responsible for. The need was presented, and it seems that the need was great because they said, "Look out from among you, look ye out among you, seven men." So they decided that seven men would be able to fill this need. But we will give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. They chose seven men. It says, look out from among you. Good reputation and full of the Holy Spirit. They prayed, they laid hands on, they chose seven men, they laid hands on them, and the needs were met. Look at the result. Verse 7. It says, it didn't say that there were numbers added. It says they were multiplied. The disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And Stephen, the word of God increased, yes. Serving tables, serving widows as these seven did was a noble calling. It met the need and it says the word of God increased. The disciples multiplied. The needs were met in the daily administration. But if we continue reading and follow Stephen and follow Philip's life, it was so much more than just the daily administration or the daily serving the tables. 
Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Very next chapter, he preached a powerful message, and I believe he was the first martyr of the early church. But let's follow Philip in Acts 8. Stephen was killed, they buried him, and Saul made havoc in the church. Verse 5 says that Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taking, taken with palsies and that were lame were healed. There was great joy in that city. Stephen went from serving tables to preaching and giving his life. Philip went from serving tables to Samaria. He preached. Many people hurt the gospel. It says the devils were cast out. The lame were walking. The paralyzed were healed. Great things were occurring. Philip had a good thing going. He was not only mopping floors and locking doors and running errands. He was preaching the word. Verse 14 says, When the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen none, sorry, for yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Philip was called to run errands and to serve tables. And he started preaching. And many good things were happening. It says that he baptized many, both men and women. Even the greatest man, the most highly respected man of Samaria, of that town, became saved. When the news came to Jerusalem, they sent Peter and John. I don't know if this is a good thought or not. But they came up to, they came down to Samaria. And they stole Philip's spotlight. That's not a good way to look at it, is it? It doesn't say what Philip did. I'm trying to paint as a picture here. It says, it it appears that they were working together. Philip was doing what he was able to do. The opportunities in front of him, he was serving. I think in all his calling, and all his capacity. And when Peter and John came, he just stepped back and allowed the Holy Spirit to continue working the work that was started. In honor, preferring one another is the words that came to my mind about Philip. It says that they returned to Jerusalem, and I do not know if Philip returned with them to Jerusalem. But verse 26 
It says, The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth toward Jerusalem, goeth from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is the desert. So, whether Philip stayed in Samaria, where a lot of people were, or went with John and Peter to Jerusalem, where a lot of people were, the word of the Lord came to Philip and says, Go to the, ne- go to the Negev, go to the south, go to the desert. What? I'm here where a lot of people are. I am serving in the capacity that you have called me. Why are you sending me to the desert? Why leave the populated area and go to the desert where there may be nobody or at least not many people? But he went. And he found one man. He went from public to private. He went from many to one-on-one. He went in obedience without question, without hesitation. He went promptly. The angel of the Lord said, and then it says, The Spirit said unto Philip, Go and join yourself to the chariot. One more thought on Philip, verse 30. And Philip ran hither to him, talking about the chariot and the the eunuch. Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? I want to learn from Philip to ask the right question. He asked the right question to open up a conversation. I don't know if you consider Philip having the answer for the eunuch. He may have had the answer, but it appears that Philip knew the scripture and he knew Jesus. And that's all he needed to present Jesus to the eunuch. And he was obedient. He was obedient promptly to the Spirit. And this is not only for deacons or for leaders, but when the Spirit prompts us, obey right away. When the Spirit prompts us to call someone, when the Spirit prompts us to pray for someone, when the Spirit prompts us to go, or to talk, or to visit, I encourage us when the Spirit prompts us to be obedient. The next time Philip shows up is in Acts 21. He was living in Caesarea. He was called the evangelist. He was faithful and he had faithful daughters. He was no longer only serving tables. He was no longer only mopping floors. He was an evangelist. Acts 21 verse 8 says, And the next day... We that were of Paul's company departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, that one of the seven, that identifies him as this same Philip. He was one of the seven, and we abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which were, uh, which did prophesy. Philip was full of the Holy Ghost, full of faith and power. He was called 
to the serve tables, but he did so much more. The role of a deacon is to mop the floor and to serve tables, but there's so much more. Just a few thoughts. A heart of compassion. I don't know if this comes under the category of a role of a deacon or not. When God called, I would not have identified a gift of mercy in my life. In fact, I reflected on a few occasions. If somebody injured themselves playing softball or, or any anywhere, I was probably the last one there to see what's wrong or to help the person up. I would more, the thought would more be a big boy about it and let's go on with the game. If we don't have the gift of mercy, I think God wants to develop that in our life. Even if you consider you have it or not. If you don't have it, allow your companion in God to keep it in front of you at all times. I often pray, even to this day, that God would give me a heart of compassion for everyone, for every situation. I pray that God would give me a love for others. For some reason, I don't have a problem loving myself. So I keep praying, give me a love for others. I'm not sure where I got this phrase, but you may have heard it. Show that you care. Well, I'm going to go turn that around and say care enough that it shows. It doesn't matter if we're a deacon or if we aren't a deacon. Care enough that it shows. I like to be in the middle of a conversation, in the middle of a group. A heart of compassion is one that is aware of the loner within the group or the loner standing aside from the group. We have a fairly crowded foyer after church at Sunlight. People walk up to each other and start talking. Beware of the loner. I have already almost been rude in cutting off a conversation with someone to go speak with the loner and to care enough that it shows. Be a good listener. This is one thing that I have a hard time learning. Even last Sunday, later I felt that I did not give my full attention. I was on my way to talk to someone and another person passed me by and we started talking 
And I felt later convicted that I just kind of kept walking rather than stopping and giving full attention. Be a good listener. Ask good questions. There was a brother at church. I don't know how you greet each other. Do you greet each other how you doing? Do you really care? Do you really want to know how the other person is doing? Do you want to know the whole story? Or is it just a formal greeting? We had a brother at church that if you asked him how he was doing, he would answer with lots to be grateful for. Maybe some of you would know him. Lots to be grateful for. If you wanted to know more about him, you would have to say, is your back better than it was last week? How did your trip go? Or how did you... You had to be detailed if you wanted to know more. And he was willing to share more, but if you would ask him just generally, how are you doing? He'd say, lots to be grateful for. Wouldn't go deep. I remember... I don't know how you greet each other. Do you do you say how you doing and you really want to know? I observed this conversation at an auction one time. There was an older man using a cane, shuffling along. Another man came behind him. I, I knew the, the latter man. Came behind him, patted him on his back and says, said his name and said, How are you doing? The older fella... Leaning on the cane, his shoulder, his head went down, his shoulders started stooping, and he just started a whole row of all his aches and pains and ailments, and, and the other fellow patted him on the back and said, I hear you're doing well, and walked on. <laughs> he really didn't want to know how he was doing. But I'm saying, ask a good question and really care for each other. And... I'm sorry, I don't always do that. I don't. Be a good learner. Learn from everyone. From some we learn how to do it, and some we learn how not to do it. Many times, you don't have to be in leadership to many times not know what to do. Leadership and learning are indispensable. They go together. Read leadership books. Attend seminars. Observe others. Study to show thyself approved unto God. We learn from our own experience and we learn from experiences of others. You probably have heard many definitions of wisdom and knowledge. I don't know where I got this quote, but knowledge is learning from our own experience. Wisdom is learning from someone else's experience. For what it's worth. We don't live long enough to make all the mistakes and learn from all of our experiences that we need to know in life. In fact, the more we know, the more we know that we don't know. Isn't that the way we find it? Be a friend. Be a friend to all. Some people are easier to befriend than others. Leadership. Leadership is not about title or designation. It's about impact, influence, and inspiration. It's not so much about title. It's not about position. But it's about impact, influence, and inspiration. Brother John taught me a term 
He called it bishop's disease. And I'm wondering if there isn't such a thing as deacon's disease as well. It's abuse of authority is what it is. The role of a deacon or the call of a deacon is not so much a title or a position, but it's a calling. It's a responsibility. In fact, it's an honor to be able to serve where we are called. A role of a deacon is to minister. A role of a deacon is to serve. Sometimes it's called to organize, to administrate. The role of a deacon is to be a friend to all. The role of a deacon is to be a part of the leadership team. I want to... The role of a deacon is only one member of the body. I want to bless you with a few verses from Ephesians. I'll just read them to you. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church of Jesus Christ throughout all ages, world without end. Amen.